All right, well, please turn to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. We're going to be looking at... We're going to be looking at the Beatitudes again tonight. This is our eighth lesson um, in this study. And um, Rob, would you be willing to read verses 3 to 10, please? Oh, sure. <clears throat> From the ESV. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So we have a picture here, really, of the, of the character of the New Covenant Christian um, on display here. The birthmarks of the true subjects of the kingdom of God is the terminology that we've used as we've gone through this. And course we come now to verse 9 we'll be considering just this verse blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called the sons of God and as we begin and we think about peace and we look around the world and we turn on CNN we turn on Fox News is it just all peaceful waterfalls and no conflict or what do we see conflict everywhere right this world lacks peace between all the different wars that are going on, war, wars being planned that we don't even know about, wars that are just ending, the ramifications of war, such as in Somalia, where tens of thousands of babies are dying, young children are dying because of the things, the results of war. Um, this world lacks peace. People are looking for peace, but they lack peace. They try to medicate to achieve peace. They try to do all manner of things looking for peace. You look at the lawsuits and the court systems and how quick, you know, you bumped into my bumper and oh, my neck, you know, and all of this conflict and lawsuits and all of this. Even in families, the divorce rate being over 50%, it's, it's um, astonishing. And even among family members, extended family members, that are at odds with one another and refuse to talk to each other for the rest of their lives. We have you know, a situation that's very close to home where we normally host this, that it's a sad situation. I know of several other situations as well, and, and that's sad. Even World War II, you think about it, how they, they build it as the war that was to end all wars, right? But that was humanistic reasoning, right? I mean, it didn't end all wars. In fact, our nation, throughout all of its history, there has never been a generation that has not known some war or another during that particular generation's time. Now what Jesus is telling us here is he's not telling us to be military pacifists, right? That, that's not the point of being a peacemaker here at all. He's not saying peace at all costs. In fact, according to Romans chapter 13, the, gov the, <laughs> the civil governments... Um, <laughs> have a right to punish evildoers, right? Or to make war. And it's not enough to appease and to try to temporarily hold off war, like Martin Lloyd-Jones said in his day, 
He said, you can postpone war by appeasement, but you are doing something unrighteous to avoid a war, piling up more trouble for later. <coughs> now, strife and conflict bring two things. It brings danger, and it brings opportunity. How does it bring danger? The temptation to sin, right? There's a conflict. I'm offended. Whatever, I'm just saying on a real simple, basic level, um, I can react sinfully or redeem it as an opportunity to glorify God by using biblical peacemaking methods of which we talked about last time. So it's danger and an opportunity. So think of it like that. Now last time, just to kind of keep the flow here, we considered the pure in heart. Blessed are the pure in heart. Does anybody remember what the point of that was? Was he talking about um, this organ that's inside of all of our chests pumping blood right now that's keeping us breathing. Is that what he's talking about? <laughs> Nobody's no. afraid. Thank you, Rob. <laughs> Rob wasn't even here, but he knows. Yeah. <laughs> all right. No, that's not that. But rather, the it's the center of our personality, our mind, our will. And we know that it doesn't have the idea of somehow having sin fully eradicated from our lives where we will always be dealing with sin, but it's the idea of a new disposition and having a new inward purity to want to glorify the Lord. And of course, Jesus, in his classical way, as he does throughout all the Gospels, is refuting the Pharisees' external religiosity. He's saying it goes beyond the externals. It goes beyond that robe that you're wearing. It goes beyond the external prayers. It goes deeper into the heart. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Now, um, <clears throat> as we consider peacemaking in the first century context, what were the Jews waiting for with Messiah? What did they think would take place? I mean, think about it. The Jewish nation of Israel was, I mean, everyone around them were enemies for the most part. So here comes Messiah. The expectation is, going to establish his kingdom and finally obliterate all of them, right? But he totally comes and it's totally radically reshapes things that no, now Gentiles can be grafted in and, and, and that we are to be peacemakers even with those who, whom we were formerly hostile to. And so it's an amazing thing to think about um, that mentality. For the New Covenant Christian, we are to be promoters of peace. Now as we think about peace, I asked this last time, but what is it that robbed you of your peace? Personally, it's sin. Okay. Good. Either either sin from my own flesh, or, well, I mean, it's the obvious answer, but also as it's manifested in other people's flesh, and how they can attack me in some instances. Yeah. So that's, that's a, a very broad answer, sure. but nevertheless. Well, I think every specific thing that we could say disturbs our peace would fall under the category. Oh, yeah. Yes, exactly. Yes, very well stated. And that's, yeah, that was the point, so both hit it quickly. In James chapter 4, if you want to just turn there really quick. We need to remember that all conflict is a result of sin and rebellion. And chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. Caleb, do you have that? Yeah. Could you read that out loud, please? <clears throat> what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? Your desire and, your desire and do not have... 
so you murder, you covet, and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. Okay, we spent some time on this verse last time, so we're not going to belabor it, but the idea that it's these pleasures or these desires, strong desires that wage war within us, and when we can't satisfy those desires in whatever area they are, we begin to become very determined to satisfy them. So we murder, we and all of that. And so, and then back in chapter three, just to turn the page, chapter three, verse sixteen. Or you probably don't even have to turn the page in my Bible. I do. <laughs> for where there, for where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder, and every evil thing. So just to. To add to that, so conflict is a result of sin and rebellion. So let me ask you, are you a peacemaker? And before we go any further, we should define what peace is. How would you describe peace? You can answer too. <laughs> I've got nothing. <laughs> resolving conflict doesn't arise. Okay, resolving conflict. Okay. Others. It's freedom from enmity with another person. So okay. think about peace with God and then peace with your mm -hmm. fellow man, like on two different levels. Mm -hmm. So it's it's in so we're both of those answers were in the context of how do, how do we describe peace? Probably in light of like James, but peace by itself is a state of harmony. Right, it's 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 there's there's no conflict. It's it's harmony, it's harmonious. There's a state of concord. You think of it between governments, allies. There's a state of peace versus when they're at war with one another and so forth. But also interpersonal relationships, which is what Jesus means here. And of course, it's the absence of conflict and sin. And so, it's the idea of shalom, right? The Hebrew word for peace. Shalom. It was a greeting. It was a benediction. And um, it's the idea of a positive fullness of well-being, desiring the highest good. And of course, it's, it's here used in, in our relationships. And it's not just a, um, a truce, like, okay, we agree to, we're, we're, I'll agree not to cross your fence and I'll stay on my property or whatever, but rather it's a joyous union and harmony. So it goes beyond that. It's not just a truce chalk line down the middle of the room you know there's this two women who were sisters who were roommates in Scotland and they, they disagreed one time over a point of doctrine which in my notes just came in my mind but uh, and they disagreed so vehemently that they never spoke to one another again and they drew the chalk line down the middle of the room and that's how they died what a miserable way to live yeah they had a truce they coexisted right <laughs> there definitely wasn't any joyous harmony there the Greek word that's used here for peacemaker, uh, according to BDAG, a lexicon, says to endeavor to reconcile persons who have disagreements, making peace. So it's the idea of being a lover of peace, a promoter of peace, and it's one of the distinguishing marks and characteristics of the followers of the Prince of Peace. We're to be those that heal offenses. Now, another question. Can you as a Christian really be expected in the 21st century to be at peace with some of these wicked, antagonistic, sinful people that we have to deal with every day? Can you really, really be expected 
mean, maybe it was different in the first century. I mean, can you really be expected to in the 21st century? It's such a loaded question, I know. <laughs> <laughs> can you be expected to? Why? Well, I think it's, I mean, is it Romans 12 where it says, as far as it depends on you, yeah, be exactly at peace right. with all men. So exactly right. you're, you're making efforts at peace, even with your enemies. It doesn't mean that there's going to be absence of conflict because sin or separation from God on the other person's part mm -hmm. could make it so that there really isn't peace, but as mm -hmm. far as it depends on you, mm -hmm. yeah. all you can do is your part. Right. And so we must strive for that. That's the point. Okay. I mean, there's, it's not an optional thing. The Romans 12, other passages, we need to strive for this. And why, especially for Christians? It's not enough just for Joe across the street, who's a, a good Navy doctor or whatever, you know, that to maintain peace with his neighbors. But why should we as Christians seek to promote peace? Well, it's our testimony. I mean, what are we saying about the God we worship if we're bickering and quarreling and being okay. selfish? I want to add to that. So take that one step further now. Because we've been reconciled to God. We now have peace with God. And so of all people... Who's going to be that testimony, like Rochelle said, mm -hmm. that reflection of peace? We have come to know peace. And so we are to be these who don't want to injure anyone, who want to pour oil on the wounds of conflict, as it were, seek to bring balm to the wounds that come. And even among the church, as it says in Ephesians 4.3, to be diligent to preserve the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. And so... We have a responsibility, we have an obligation as Christians, and, and especially in the realm of the church, to maintain peace. Jesus himself came as the great peacemaker. The Old Testament prophecy, for example, in Isaiah 9, 6, says what? He would be the prince of peace, right? Um, he has reconciled God and man. Um, in Colossians 1, it says, And through him to reconcile all things to himself, having made peace, through the blood of his cross. And it's Christ's work by which we can have peace with our fellow men in Ephesians chapter 2 as well. Ephesians 2.14. Who would like to read 2.14 and 15? Yeah, so you see the peace mentioned twice. If we skip to verse 17, um, and he came and preached peace to you who are far away and peace to those who are near, that's a quotation from Isaiah. Peace four times in that short little section there. And But you see, it, he is our peace. He's broken down the dividing wall. And so we can now have peace with our fellow man. He is the great peacemaker. So, how can you be a peacemaker today? That's my question. How, what are some steps, what are some things that you can do to be a peacemaker? I think you've already hit the fundamentally we already are peacemakers simply by being reconciled to God. Okay. So since we are fundamentally at peace ourselves, in a certain respect, we bring peace wherever we go. Yeah, obviously we're not completely 
uh, without sin, but even so, compared to the rest of the population, you're intrinsically more peaceful. Lord, help us in that. Right. <laughs> yeah. Say that with trepidation. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Humility. We should be. Right. Yeah, that's a, that's a very important thing. I mean, to guard our speech and to breathe grace, I think mm-hmm. is how Ken Sandy put it in his book, um, to breathe grace and to be those. Of, of all people, we should be those who, want, who reflect that. But I would say even first, we want to deal, those are all right and good, and I was getting there. I should have just jumped ahead here, but uh, or plugged this before I asked the question, but we need to deal with our own heart. If we have sin in our own heart, then we are not completely at peace with God. Unconfessed sin, whether it's bitterness and enviness, we need to uproot roots of bitterness, right? If there's pride, we need to mortify pride. We need to examine ourselves. Are there idols that we're cherishing and nursing and watering and bowing down to? And we need to obliterate those idols like the idols of old. We need to remove that from our own heart. Need to check our own heart for envy, and, and because it's these very sins that can lead to conflict with others, right? And we read it in James four. You know, we we want this so bad, you're getting in my way. I'm going to murder to get it, and then and then you have a conflict. But those are good things: guarding the speech and so forth. We need to be careful not to give an offense. Um, in Proverbs six, where it says there are six things the Lord hates, yes, seven. One of those things is what spreading strife mm-hmm. spreading strife which is the very thing that we're talking about the opposite of what we're talking about if you're spreading strife and amongst your siblings as a young adult as a child is your peace there's not peace as a result of that right <clears throat> and we, we need to be careful not to take offense what the what, what, what do I mean by that? Well, just the way you think about other people and the way you, I don't know, the, you can choose to take an offhand comment or a body posture mm-hmm. one way, or you can choose to take it another way. Mm-hmm. And maybe anything, and you can choose to be sensitive and get offended and have wounded dignity all the time. Or you can just overlook Yeah, exactly. Um, we need to be careful to be sure that we're not easily offended. Because if we're easily offended, we're throwing sparks on on dry leaves <laughs> that could, you know, that could ignite. I'm going to get to this. It's not that we overlook major sin, but we don't want to be easily offended. We don't want to be demanding our rights. How dare you do this to me? And perfect example. You're cut off on the freeway. What is that guy thinking? I mean, it's moi. <laughs> I'm obeying the law. I'm a Christian. I'm a trying to be a peacemaker. And this guy, out of nowhere, you know, or whatever, you know. Um, and so we want to overlook minor uh, offenses, um, certainly. Proverbs 19.12, uh, it's a man's glory to overlook a transgression. 
and promote peace by doing good to others, by willingly being a servant. When there's chairs to pick up at the end of fellowship meal and, you know, and it's like, hey, I, I want to go serve. I'm going to jump in or, you know, putting away chairs tonight or, you know, these, these basic examples. But, but to even have the posture of a servant like Christ did, he did not come to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So, Psalm 34, depart from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. So that really hits it close to home. Now, how should you handle major conflict, something that you can't overlook? We touched on this last week, too. I think it's our job to try to initiate forgiveness. Not wait for the other person to come to us, mm-hmm. and that requires a lot of humility, especially if if you've been wronged more and you're yes. going to them and beginning the process of reconciliation. And it's much easier said than done. Very good. Yeah, the, to begin with, you want to test your own motives. Mm-hmm. Like let's say you've been sinned against. It's real easy to have the Holy Spirit complex that. Oh, I'm so glad I don't sin like that, and oh, I don't know how this. <laughs> Poor soul could sin like that, and to, you know, my motive is to go and point out your sin so that I feel good about myself and can do that. Really, I mean, yeah, you, you have to test your motives and examine yourself. Is your own heart right? The the four G's that Ken Sandy um, uses, you know, it's glorify God. So it's an opportunity to glorify God. Get the log out of your own eye, right? Gently restore, and then go and be reconciled. And so that's a a good thing to remember those four G's. So seek to bring harmony to those who are in strife around you. Um, be careful not to be sinfully involved in something that's beyond what you should get involved. Like the proverb says in um, twenty six seventeen, like one who takes a dog by the ears. Mm. And there's a dog out here. If anybody wants to try it, it's a little <laughs> bigger than Bunyan. Most of you have seen Bunyan, big German Shepherd. Like one who takes a dog by the ears is one who passes by and meddles with strife, not belonging to him. Mm. We want to be careful if it's not belonging to us, not to jump in. So, how else might this verse be, uh, how else might we apply this verse? One thing that keeps popping into my mind, especially in the context of marriage, is off the top of my head I can think of like two or three couples who have been married 25 plus years and they are kind of like those um, women the Scottish couple couple, and they just coexist Mm. and it's such a miserable existence Mm. and I think in any relationship but especially in the context of marriage keeping short accounts it's not that there will ever be an absence of conflict because conflict is just reality for two sinners living together and trying to work it out you know but the fact that to go days and days just breeds that bitterness, you know, that unresolved, yeah, yeah, those bit, the bitterness that just grows to a point where that's where you are. Where it's, just it's a redwood. Coexisting. <laughs> with, a, with a root that's so deep that it's, you know, it's, it's a tree rather than a pulling it out when it's a weed. Keeping short accounts Not letting the sun go vital. down your anger. Now, taking this one step further, I think there's an application um, by seeking to bring men and reconciliation with God, right? That's part of being a peacemaker. If we can point someone to the Savior to where that person now can be at peace with God, 
there's definitely an application, I think, here. Mm -hmm. And um, we who once lacked true peace with God have now been reconciled to God. So who else to demonstrate that and to show that? Romans 5.10, For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. So biblical love prompts us, um, what's the right word? Biblical love should motivate us to want to share Christ and to witness and to be a testimony to those around us. Those that are lost, lost and dying world, to point them to Christ. Peter, when he was preaching in Cornelius' house in Acts 10, he says, the word which he sent to the sons of Israel, preaching peace through Jesus Christ, for he is Lord of all. Again, peace, true peace, comes through Christ. But sometimes, of course, that's not going to be well received when we try. Even Jesus himself said in Matthew 10, Do not think that I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace to the sword. That there will be divisions. There will be some that will strong arm, that will not listen to the message, that will spurn the message, ridicule the message, and deny God. I was reminded of a, a neat story about a man by the name of Telemachus, I believe was his name, from the 4th century. Do you remember him? Oh, the... Uh, yeah, the end of the gladiators, you remember? Uh, oh, I was thinking of Telemachus, who's Odysseus' son, but that's different. Okay. Well, anyway, this, this particular guy was, was a monk. He lived in the 4th century. He feel, felt the Lord leading him to go to Rome. However, that took place. Um, that's here nor there, but I felt God leading him there. He was um, in a cloistered monastery, so he set out to Rome, and when he got to the city... The city's in an uproar. There's all this excitement, everything going on. So we finally asked, what's going on? What's all this excitement about? And they said, well, the gladiators are going to be fighting today and killing each other in the Colosseum. Uh, there'll be games and circuses. And he thought to himself, four centuries since Christ has been here, and men are still enjoying killing one another. So he goes in, he goes down there. He hears the gladiator saying, Hail to Caesar, we die for Caesar. And he thought, this just isn't right. So he jumps the rail, runs down into the middle of the field, as the story goes, stands in between the gladiators, has them stop like this, and this is what he said. He says, In the name of Christ, forbear. The crowd began to shout and, and said, run through him, run through him. So Gladiator took a sword into his gut and knocked him on the ground rolling. He got back up, stood between him again. For the name of Christ, forbear. The other Gladiator came over and plunged his sword right through his stomach, pulled it out. He fell on the ground into the sand. The sand became, <laughs> became crimson in color as he sat there and bled to death. He had just enough strength to one more time say, in the name of Christ, forbear. Well, there was 80,000 people, as the story goes, in that Colosseum that day, and there was such a hush over the whole crowd and a quiet, and people began to exit. And as, as far as history says it, that that was the last of the gladiator battles in Rome. And it was about the year 404. So, anyway, it's a gruesome story for some of the young ones here, but, you know, the point is, is that he saw 
<laughs> it went over the young. Some of them, some of them were really digging it. Young teens. <laughs> cool. I can almost visualize it. <laughs> Make a good movie. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, so the, the point is, is that he, how can men for sport be killing each other? And he sought to be a peacemaker. It cost him his life. But, and that's in Fox's Book of Martyrs as well. Mm. Um, that particular man. So you too should be a model of a peacemaker. Be grateful for the gospel. Uh, Romans 12, we already mentioned it, if possible so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Carefully think of how you can intervene into conflicts. Again, you don't want to be grabbing dogs by the ears. If it's none of your business, then stay clear. But if it's something of which you know of, maybe it's your brother and sister-in-law, maybe it's a sibling, you know, whatever, you... You have a responsibility to seek to bring peace. Paul himself, when he wrote to the Philippians, remember the two ladies that just couldn't get along? <laughs> mm-hmm. Right? He says, I urge Udio and I urge Sinktik to live in harmony in the Lord. Indeed, true comrade, I ask you also to help these women who shared in my struggle for the cause of the gospel. So he's asking, bring harm, help them to bring harmony. Help them. Application to family. I'll use my as an example here. The two brothers here are fighting. They can't get along. Da 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 da. Whatever. You know, it just rarely happens. Um, They'll act it out. They'll act it out. Big sister comes here. She hears it. Yeah, hears it. And she says, "This just isn't right." In the name of Christ, forbear. <laughs> That's a good thing. <laughs> okay. All right. But really, to say, to say hey, guys, you know this is an honor. So, or vice versa, if there's Calvin and Chris, so that happens occasionally. Caleb, Calvin, whatever. But, you know, the situations like that in the family. And so to be able to seek to bring peace in the workplace. You know, you've been overlooked on a promotion, and, and the person who got the promotion wants to really rub it in, you know, kind of thing. And so, and, 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 and that's hard. Or maybe it's your buddy who was overlooked for the promotion, and the person's rubbing it in. You can seek to bring peace and to reflect the light of the gospel in that situation. James 3.17, but the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering and without hypocrisy. So if we can memorize that verse and have that in our heart, or at least know the truth of that verse, that we want to be pure, peaceable, gentle, reasonable, think of all that in the realm of peacemaking, you know. And then, of course, the, it goes on, the end of verse 9, for they shall be called sons of God. And we're just going to take a minute on this, but, I mean, what a precious promise. It's in the future tense. Ultimately, that time when we will be before him as sons of God, right, in glory. But, but we're still sons, of, we're sons and daughters of God now if we're in Christ. We have become partakers of the divine nature, as mm-hmm. Peter says. And the idea of sons of God is... Uh, I'm sure has wrapped into it the idea of uh, the adoption that we have in Christ that he has brought about. And, you know, it's interesting. Uh, the concept of adoption is actually very rare in the Old Testament. You see adoptions, but there's not, like, the concept of adoption as it's unfolded in the New Testament is incredible. So Romans 8, let's turn there. We'll, we'll end here.
First of all, Ephesians 1, 5, don't turn there. He predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself. And then Romans 8 probably is the most extended section that we have on the doctrine of adoption, <laughs> beginning in verse 14. Kind of hard to read select verses, but for the sake of time, verse 14 and 15, and then 19. Rob, do you want to read that? Sure. 14, 15, and 19. For all who are led by the Spirit of God as sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you re received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Sorry, 16 too. Oh, okay. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and, and fellow heirs of Christ, provided we suffer with him, in order that we may also be glorified with him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be re revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. Good. And then first we'll skip to 23. And not only this, but also we ourselves, having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves grown within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. And that's probably more in line of the idea of the future tense and being sons of God. It's that, that redemption of our body when we're there with him face to face. But it certainly is wrapped up in this, this doctrine of adoption. And then Galatians 4, 6. <clears throat> because you are sons, God sent forth the spirit of the son into our hearts by where we, cr by where we cry, Abba, Father. That tender term of um, endearment. So, in conclusion, do you have peace with God tonight? That's the question. That's the question for you, question for you, question for everybody in this room. Do you have peace with God? Do you have peace with God in that your sins have been forgiven, your sins have been washed away, that you believed on Jesus Christ, you believed in faith that he's a Savior that died for your sins. And for those of us who are in Christ, do we have peace within ourselves? Do we have peace with God? And do we have <coughs> peace with others? We need to be those who promote and maintain peace around us. We who have now been reconciled to God, our sins have been forgiven, we have peace with God, need to demonstrate that with peace and harmony. And I, I think our church really excels with the demonstration of unity and the, the peace that is there and the bearing and the forbearing and the love that, that is there. I think our church really does excel in that. So may the Lord help us also to be a means to draw sinful men to himself that the kingdom of God would be expanded even more.